1: Welcome to the Raptors Reasonable List Podcast I am Eric Corrine I'm not Blake Murphy Blake Murphy uh, along with Kane has gone to parts unknown he, he's he's in the abyss uh, in the Depths of hell, potentially. Uh, in any case, he's not with us this week. Uh, we do have a more than capable guest host, an ex Torontonian, maybe still a Torontonian in heart. I don't know. I haven't consulted him about this. From CBS Sports, it's James Herbert. James, how are you? I'm doing well. Toronto will always have a place in my heart, Eric. You know that. A place in your heart is not the same as being a Torontonian at heart. I, I would just say being a pedantic little jerk like i am
2: sure i mean i edited it slightly because i don't
1: know if like
2: i don't know if i can responsibly still
1: claim that um yeah i i get where you're coming from like you can say i'm a torontonian at heart but that doesn't mean you're a torontonian i mean you're you you very clearly are not a torontonian because i think somebody has to like at the very least you have to have imminent plans to be back there. Yeah. If you are, which
2: honestly, yeah. I would love to have imminent plans to be back there, <laughs> but I can't right
1: now. Um, um, it, yeah. No, I think, I think we saw each other in Brooklyn in January, 2020, when everything was fine in the world. Uh, <laughs> yes. And actually I mean, after I mean, that too,
2: because one of the more recent basketball experiences I've had was a trip to Toronto in February. Um, where I saw oh, like yeah. three games. One of them was that Raptors Bucks game, which is pretty memorable. Oh yeah. Kyle um, Lowry
1: trying to dribble between uh, George Hill's legs. Like, yes. He, tr- he tried to crawl through his legs.
2: Yes. And when I came back, I think I only went to like one other game. In Brooklyn before everything stopped I also went to the uh, Kenny Atkinson is not the head coach of the Nets press conference um, and that was the one that I was kind of worried about when a bunch of positive tests came out from uh, the Nets but and just we realized that like New York was in hell um, yeah. but I I didn't yeah like that those three Raptor games um, and and then like one I think it was like Nets Grizzlies or something I went to here
1: and otherwise yeah. I
2: haven't been to a game
1: Yeah, my last game. It's now been over a year since I've seen an NBA game live. My last game was February 28th, which was also the last game the Raptors played in Toronto. So we have now moved past the year anniversary of that. Uh, And it was a loss to Charlotte, uh, which I have no memory of. Uh, so that's good. Uh, it's very possible it will have been uh, 20 months before I, 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 in between seeing live basketball games. Uh, James, as he mentioned, speaks to us. Are you, you are in your home in Brooklyn? Correct. So the home of the defending first round the brooklyn nets i I don't think there's anything else notable to say about that franchise uh but you still do you keep an eye on the raptors i'm sure as as having lived here uh for quite some time uh, and uh you know getting some of those golden fred van vliet quotes for your stories Uh, i think you had a big story last year on the on the raptors defense uh, before everybody started to write about the Raptors defense. So James knows his Raptors is what I'm trying to say. Before we talk more about the Raptors with James, uh, just a reminder, $3.99 per month, theathletic.com slash we the sixth. We have lots of trade deadline stuff coming uh, coming out right now. Blake had a piece on whether a center is necessary for the Raptors uh, to pursue in trade deadline season, which is March 25th is, is the deadline, of course. And he had a piece on some available targets today today. Uh, Go up uh, at the center position. Uh, Also, there are other podcasts on the Athletic Network, including our producer Andrew's NBA on the Athletic NBA show feed, the Saturday Slam and Jam. Uh, So do us a favor and check that out. Uh, James, I assume you're not a regular listener of the Raptors Reasonable, Raptors Reasonablest podcast. I'm not going to hammer you for that. There are many basketball <laughs> podcasts out there.
2: No, I need to stop. I am a regular listener. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: anyway. So I, I know
2: uh, how bad you've been at the predictions all season exactly. long. Exactly.
1: That's, that's what I was going to mention to you. And finally, without Blake here, uh, I have I had a perfect week. Now, I did not predict a game getting canceled, but I did predict the Raptors would go one and two in the games that they did play. Uh, and I predict that they predicted that they would lose to Philly, which was sort of the inverse of the previous game. The Sixers three point variance uh, or basically three point variance happened. You know, the, the their three point percent just flipped. Sixers win. Uh, Raptors look pretty gassed on a back to back and Miami still make it quite a game as, as uh Nick Nurse gets a bit wacky with the rotations and the Raptors just can't quite get over the hump. And when they look like they might, Jimmy Butler does Jimmy Butler things uh, and the Raptors lose a pretty typical (laughs) Raptors-Heat game. Uh, I do find it enjoyable that sort of the Raptors and the Heat are both getting into their groove to make the Eastern Conference as annoying as possible to like the super talented teams both at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like there's this top three and then there's like, oh, it's Toronto and Miami really being annoying. Uh, so that, that has a fun energy to it. And then on Friday, of course, the Raptors beat the Houston Rockets with Sergio Scariolo on the bench because six Raptors coaches, including Nick Nurse, were either tested positive, uh, had either tested positive or were in protocol. So before we get into what is the biggest story of the week, my question for you, which Blake Murphy would have a full answer for, James, is how are the Raptors different under Sergio Scariolo from X's and O's point of view? <laughs>
2: um, it's it's truly scary hours time under Scariolo to reuse a dumb joke that I made on Twitter. Um, I, I don't know that from an X's and O's perspective, they are any different at all. Did, did you notice anything
1: different? No, or not? no, I, I didn't. Uh, basically, it was... You know, it's funny that the Raptors used 12 people uh, against the Heat, that they used 12 people against the Rockets. It wasn't the same 12 guys, Mm -hmm. uh, but he went deep. There was some zone thrown in there to confuse the opposition when the offenses were going. I I mean, they looked like the same team to me, uh, and that was mostly a joke of a question, to be (laughs) clear. Uh, but but of my favorite course, part of right. that
2: game was that, I mean, it wasn't actually my favorite part, but I, I believe it was the part you wrote about was when for a whole stretch uh, there in the in the first half, the Raptors just could not generate anything and just look completely lost. And it made me think back to uh, a previous game last season, which was I believe it was in Miami, where the Heat just started playing a zone late in the first quarter and just played it the entire rest of the game. And the Raptors had maybe their worst offensive night
1: yeah, they of the entire year. For- yeah, they shot 6 for 42 from 3. That That's night. the one. Yeah. And when the Raptors beat Minnesota uh earlier in Minnesota, I forget exactly what the score was. It was like 86 to 81 or something. That was the lowest winning, lowest score by a winning team since <laughs> Miami beat the Raptors in that game you were talking about Amazing. Uh, more than a year ago. So we're we're really covering all the depressing bases uh, <laughs> here on this week's Raptors' Reasonable Bless. But wait, we're going to get more depressing. Because after the Rockets game, uh, the biggest story of the week, the Raptors game against Uh, Chicago canceled. The Raptors did not have enough players uh, available to play that were not either, uh, uh, you know, that were available to play uh, because of health and safety protocols related to uh, the league's approach to COVID-19. As we record this, it's 20 minutes after four Uh, on Monday. We have not yet heard about the Raptors game against Detroit on Tuesday. The Raptor or the Raptors game against Boston on Thursday. Uh, I I am betting that neither of those games will happen, but I've been wrong about a lot of this before. Um, So let's just cover off the facts. Uh, to, To mention the names, of course, Pascal Siakam was the only Raptor who didn't play on Friday because of health and safety protocols. Uh, there's also Nick Nurse, Jama Malalela, and Adrian Griffin and John Goodwillie uh, who are all on his, you know, either lead assistant bench or, or I think Goodwillie might be a second row assistant. Uh, and then you have John uh, Carpaccio, who is an assistant and the lead video coordinator. And give me a pronunciation, James. Fabulous. Uh, Flournoy? I think so. Um, the assistant Great guy. I don't think uh, I've
2: ever said his last name out loud before though. I, I think well, everybody just I'm calls so, him fab like that. that yeah, I'm just sorry FAB. to have
1: put you on the spot, but I knew you no. knew him. So yeah. I thought you might know his name. <laughs> I know him too. I do not know how to pronounce his last name. And I also haven't seen him in a year like the rest of the Raptors. It's great guys. <laughs> um, so we're in a holding pattern. The Raptors are in a holding pattern. There are lots of practical ways. This could affect the team going forward. Uh, If they just have to make up the Chicago game, that will be 36 games they'll have to play in the second half of the season, which is exactly half of their schedule. If the other two games are canceled, they'll, of course, have to play 37 or 38. Uh, The most, I believe, currently scheduled is Memphis. Uh, The Grizzlies have six games postponed earlier in the season, and they are due to play 40 games in the second half. Uh, Which sound there's been some weird schedule stuff with the Grizzlies over the last few years. Uh, uh, There was something with them last year. Oh, there was the whole eighth seed uh, and the rules about that were created on the fly about a play-in tournament. Yeah, they got screwed. uh, That that they got screwed over. Uh, So and now they're getting screwed in another way. Uh, Although COVID has certainly had a lot more. profound impacts, a lot more meaningful impacts than its effect on professional sports. So before we get into this conversation, I want to say first and foremost, we hope that everybody with the Raptors, everybody affected by the virus overall, but, you know, we're talking about the Raptors, those who have caught it, we hope for a speedy recovery and a full recovery. And those who haven't, we hope do not. And we hope it's as, uh, as painless and, and as, uh, you know, it doesn't impact the Raptors as much as is possible and best wishes out to everybody who's suffering from it. Saying that, I have my sort of worries about how the league is handling this. What, what is, what's your overall take on what the league has done in terms of, you know, they're weighing getting the season in versus, you know, really being cautious. Obviously, they're trying to find some sort of middle ground. How do you think they're faring?
2: Yeah, I think it's hard, right? Just, like, the fact is they're playing a season relatively normally during a pandemic, which, I mean, you might hear that and just recoil just at hearing that, like, what? don't even try. But, like, they wanted to try, and they, for the most part, pulled it off um, in a way that I think, you know, like, I don't know, like... <sighs> You can call it commendable because I think by and large, the health and safety protocols have been smart and executed fairly well. Um, But I mean, to call it commendable is like, oh, congratulations, you have been willing to spend a whole ton of money to make sure that this works out because you want to make more money. Whereas like the average person going to their job, they just don't have the same kind of luxury um, because yeah. It probably shouldn't fall to just the league to protect their players um, like like it has. But but that's the reality of the situation. Um, I I think when they started the year, there were some pretty obvious loopholes in The health and safety protocols themselves, Um, having guests allowed to come into players' hotel rooms. There's no real, like, rules about whether or not they had to be tested. Um, They found out, essentially, after, after some scares around the league, some positive tests, them doing pretty detailed contact tracing, that this thing was mostly spreading, like, you know, in, like, unmasked team dinners um in car rides where people weren't wearing masks it wasn't necessarily happening on the court um and i think when they instituted the more harsh restrictions on everybody like like that is the reason why we've seen hardly any positive tests since then so i think they have been fairly cautious while they're trying to do something very ambitious whether or not you think that's a worthwhile thing that's i mean i think reasonable people can be have like different levels of like you know being comfortable with it. And I'm not always yeah. comfortable with, with the fact that we're sitting around seriously analyzing all of this stuff um, during a pandemic. And <laughs> it, it's weird whenever, like, you're confronted. It's been a banner
1: year for cognitive dissonance. Sure, uh, yes. is, is how I've, I've put it a few times. And, yes.
2: Uh, but, but, I, but I think, by and large, when you look at, like, the sheer, like, amount of positive tests that they've had compared to the amount of that we've just seen in the country? Like, I I think the NBA has done a good job on balance.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's sort of unquestionable. Uh, I, you know, would nitpick in terms of, you know, if they're going to have... I, I just think John Hollinger wrote a piece for us at The Athletic. Uh, it was more than a month ago now about the schedule and... Right. About them running into a math problem, and about how they're just like it's beyond me why they're trying to have intra. Oh, it's not beyond me; I understand it. But like having intra conference games, making sure you get like two games of the Brooklyn of you know Brooklyn Warriors, so you yeah. can talk about Kevin Durant twice, and having two games between Milwaukee and the Clippers, so you can talk about. I mean, great game yesterday, but uh, <laughs> so you can talk about Giannis yeah. and Kawhi. Um, I just, I would have rathered a more extreme approach taken to the schedule. And so maybe for a month at a time, you have like games only between six or like pods of six or eight teams. And that way, if there's a breakout, and as you said, the main way this is breaking out is not in uh, con in, in on-court activity. It's more off-court activity. Um, but you want to make sure that, you are keeping those numbers down as much as possible. And I think there's a little bit of hubris in that that makes me more uncomfortable than I already am about them not bending the schedule and insisting on, you know, their version of competitive balance, which isn't being done for competitive balance reasons. It's being done for, you know, the tele and maybe this is cynical of me, but it's being done to get those TV matchups that you want twice a year. Uh, and that's fine, I guess, but I, I would rather they bow to a sense of caution a little bit more often. And for me, without knowing the details, like there's obviously some speculation involved, but that goes back to something like the Raptors playing against Houston on Friday. Like if... If, if Pascal Siakam was in in uh was not able to play like were, were there really no close contacts with him in addition and like we already uh, were you watching the Raptors nuts game earlier in the year with Kevin Durant like I still don't understand what happened there I don't understand how he like like that has not been adequately explained to me how Kevin Durant can not be starting because He had a close contact, have an inconclusive test, come into the game where, you know, nothing changed, obviously, and then come out of the game when that inconclusive test turned positive. Like, why was he... Either he shouldn't have been allowed to play at at first, or he should have been allowed and been pulled. But uh, like that, so I'm I'm still like a bit confused on where they where the league lands some of the time.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean it's certainly been imperfect, and I think there are some instances. I mean where I think the NBA, like sort of the way the NBA has approached it, has sort of reflected how you know just by and large we have messed things up. Like I think it was absolutely yes, crazy yeah. that you had players. Um, going on the record, like complaining, like, we're not allowed to go for walks. We are stuck in our hotel room where I think the NBA just decided it was it would be easier because they can't surveil all these guys the way they did in the bubble to just say you literally can't leave your hotel room. than to be like, you can go for walks outside because that is a healthy and good thing to do. Just wear a mask and don't go inside anywhere where there could be some sort of super spreader event. Right. Like that that would. Be the more kind of humane approach, I think, is to let these guys take a walk um, and out of an (laughs) abundance of caution, an extreme abundance of caution, they didn't even let them do that. And I think, you know, they're they're still like we see um, just in wider society, like a, a pretty big emphasis on like hygiene and cleaning surfaces and stuff, even though that is not really a major driver of yeah. COVID infection and it, like those kind of things bug me. And then, yeah, I think there have been like the the Durant thing you mentioned, I think was just, it was sort of just on the timing. It was- There had like, to be
1: some level of miscommunication there at some point. I don't well, know what it was. But I think but they actually doesn't... did follow the
2: rules though, because I, I believe, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I think if you have a close contact with an inconclusive test, you are allowed to play. If you have a cl- an inconclusive test yourself, you were not allowed to play, um, and then in both of those instances, that person who was tested inconclusive would be tested again. And what happened in the Durant case was that came back positive, um, so he had to be pulled. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, so what I'm what I'm
1: saying, and I'm being pedantic now, but that is my nature, as you know, is like if the close contact was inconclusive at first, why? Did he not play to start? Like he didn't start the game, and that's the part I haven't understood.
2: Yeah, because I well, because I, I I that that was pretty weird, um, <laughs> and I don't
1: quite know
2: like the timeline. Yeah, nobody. We I mean, we don't have an, we don't have line. an
1: answer for it. Like right. They they quite rightly like I I'm not dying to know anybody's exact health status. I just. I think most of us just want a clear set of guidelines that are followed consistently. And that's, by the way, is a really hard thing to do with something as complicated and evolving as all of this is. Like right. Even a year, like we're coming up to the year anniversary of Rudy Gobert. Uh, and to speak to that and to speak to what we were talking about, like the Raptors played Rudy Gobert two ta- two days before, you know, the whole Rudy Gobert situation came out. And none of the Raptors tested positive, despite Serge Ibaka, you know, covering him for 30 minutes or whatever it was. So Right. And then uh, the dread thing you're
2: describing, like basically, like – in a literal sense, that was them being like, like taking an abundance of caution. Like the, the, what you've identified is like, it doesn't quite make sense that he didn't just start the game. Yeah. Because Exactly. That, like that he was should, the Under
1: their rules, he should have played to begin with. Yes. And and I don't Durant, understand why he did not.
2: Durant has since been very vocal in being miffed that he had to sit out for that long when he never tested positive at any point. And there have been other guys like, you know, Dennis Schroeder comes back, like some
1: other guys who Excuse have. Excuse me, you've covered enough games at the uh, Scotiabank Arena to know how Dennis Schroeder's name is actually pronounced.
2: Schroeder. Like, <laughs> um, Shout out that, to Herbie Coon, Absolutely. Um, whose voice we haven't heard in quite some time. Um, A lot of,
1: lot of voices, yeah.
2: Right. Um, it's, it's
1: anyway. It's complicated, and yes. I, I would like. I just wish they, they were a. They were more clear about what's going on to the extent that they can be. Again, that's not a desire to know exactly who is tested positive, but it's just you know a desire for why somebody is or isn't on the court, and I think that's a reasonable request. And the second thing is, I wish they. They had bent more with the schedule to try and limit yeah. possible exposure. And I think that is something they can be rightly hammered on. And uh, like, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to think, I'm not ever going to think it's acceptable that their priority isn't limiting exposure uh, in those cases. And there is a middle ground to strike and they're trying. I just fall on a different side of, of where they've decided to strike it.
2: Yeah, and I liked that Hollinger wrote that story about, like they they could have absolutely been much more aggressive in terms of limiting travel. And that was a thing where when the schedule initially came out, that was a talking point. And then the season started and and, and nobody brought it up anymore. It's just like, oh, this was inevitable. They had to make this as close to a normal season as possible. Uh, They need these Eastern Conference teams to be able to sell tickets to LeBron coming in town if they happen to be selling tickets, (laughs) which more of them are now, uh, including both of the teams in New York. Um, Although the Nets are are allowing like 300 people in. Like they're not really going full bore into this yet, Um, despite the fact that the city is letting them have 10% capacity and the Knicks, I think unsurprisingly, Went straight to that, um, so yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I agree United with you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so uh, there's one other thing I want to point out. And in, in the comment section was in my story. What uh, you know, more stories you can read on the Athletic about. Uh, I mean, Blake wrote about Sergio Scariolo getting his first win. I wrote a, a few things about. Uh, the the Raptor situation and the comments section, unsurprisingly, got a bit spicy. And I just want to say, I've criticized the league a lot here. And the players, to some extent, are complicit in it uh, because everything is collectively bargained. So I know some people think that the players are getting off easy. Uh, I'm not one of those people. But there's an all-star game going on, and the players had to agree to play in it. So... I don't think the All-Star Game should be happening. And there's two sides that want to maximize revenue here, and I understand that. So I don't want anybody to think I'm, you know, typical lefty only hammering the owners. I I think obviously... I mean, to me, it's obvious that they have... they, They should take more of the criticism because they are ultimately the people who carry the biggest hammer and make most of the decisions here. But it is, you know... Everything that happens on the court and off the court, or, or most everything, is collectively bargained. Uh, all of which is to say, if the next two games are canceled for the Raptors, their first game back is March 11th, which will be 15 days since, or, or sorry, 13 days since they last played, uh, which means feasibly they would have gotten, feasibly they would have only missed only had Pascal Siakam miss one game. That could be the only player they miss. I don't think that's entirely likely. Um, Drew Holiday just returned on Sunday for the Bucs. Uh, he missed, I believe, 20 days and 10 games. So even though two weeks is has been the norm when you test positive, it can obviously be more than that. And and we just heard Jason Tatum talk about how long it's taken him to get his wind back. And that's why I want to point everybody to the beginning of this conversation, where we say that the most important thing here is that the guys who don't have it, they still don't get it, and everybody's being as safe as possible now. And the people who do have it, uh, they have a fast, speedy, and full recovery. Any final thoughts on this thing that we love talking about? <laughs>
2: um i don't know that i have any like big overarching thoughts to add but i am curious to see what happens with these next raptor games just because i'm a little confused um there were instances earlier this year where with respect to the grizzlies who you talked about earlier and the the wizards who had i what i think should be described as like a minor outbreak on their team they, they just had a series of games, games canceled all at once and presumably if there were a reason to cancel all of or not cancel postpone i should say to postpone all of these games before the all-star break they would have just done that right so i feel like on one hand i'm like okay no news is good news if the good news is that these games are going to be played Especially and on the other hand
1: detroit detroit has to travel to tampa uh, i'm not sure where they were but they weren't in tampa so uh, yes
2: yeah. and then on the other hand there's like okay well they the Raptors have an otherwise like full roster of players and they, you only technically need eight guys um, to play a game though. I think the league has aired on kind of postponing anyway, if it's close after an initial kind of controversial decision about a Sixers game where Tyrese Maxey went and dropped 40 or something. Um, Future
1: Raptor Tyrese Maxey.
2: <laughs> potentially. They've um, they they, they they've sort of aired on the, on the side of caution if a team is going to be seriously shorthanded. Um, but Still, I, I was a little surprised that the last game was postponed. And if you just look at sort of the letter of the law, like I, I believe like you outlined this in the story you wrote about it is like you would kind of expect that the next few games are canceled or postponed. I keep misspeaking just, no, just based on that. But yeah, that that may be true. But then I'm like, well, why didn't they just announce that they're all postponed? So like I am just kind of confused and waiting to hear about what what's going to happen here.
1: Um, we don't have that breaking news yet. We do have uh, breaking news, though, that Atlanta has fired Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce, according to ESPN. Uh, so, I saw that as
2: you were talking and almost yelled, but then I just
1: kind of decided I would let you keep rolling. Yeah. Uh, so Lloyd Pierce fired. He uh, he did some great work uh, in the community for Atlanta as uh, that was – you know, some big important things happened in Georgia earlier this year. If, uh, in case you've forgotten, he was a big part of that. Uh, so, I mean, this stuff happens. I believe he was quoted in the Athletic. I want to say it was the Athletic. Uh, I apologize if I'm wrong. As saying, I know at some point Travis Schlenk is going to fire me, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, so, I think he probably knew that <laughs> Something was coming, uh, but you never want to see guys get fired. And uh, I wonder if Nate McMillan, his old buddy, is going to take over. That would be my instant prediction. But this is not an Atlanta podca- Hawks podcast. Uh, let's before we talk about what's to come, which is the trade deadline. I, I know a lot of people are interested in that. Quickly, let's take a, another thing that ha- take a look back. Another thing that happened in the previous week: the All Stars were announced. Uh, Fred Van Vliet robbed uh, of an all-star berth. Or, if you're me, think, uh, you know, he could have made it, but he also couldn't have made it, and I can't bother to get too worked up about it. The guards that were named ahead of him, Ben Simmons, James Harden, Jalen Brown, and Zach Levine. Uh, once Kevin Durant was ruled out of the game, uh, Sabonis uh, replaced him. That is a front court replacement. Uh, I don't think you have to stick to position when making the replacements, but I think it's generally been the policy to stick positionally as as much as possible with commissioners replacements. Uh, So James, how much of an outrage on, on Kyle Lowry you know, let's say 10 is Kyle Lowry being not making it because seven time all-star Joe Johnson does make it back in 2014. (laughs) And one is Ed Davis not making the all-rookie game. Uh, Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Only one? (laughs) Um, You know how fond I am for Ed Davis, but any argument over, and I've had to write my share of stories about the rookie challenge snubs. Uh, So... This might
2: be the only podcast that's happened where both people talking have profiled ed davis in depth
1: <laughs> i don't know uh, actually you're right i did proper profile i i sat down at real sports with yeah ed davis at his rookie year uh it was very awkward uh before both of us came into our own personalities <laughs> i i would say um i was i want to say i was like 25 he was probably 21 or something it, it was yeah, it wasn't great, uh, but let's let's just say, for the sake of you know any, uh, well, let's let's take the Ed Davis slander out of there. Any conversation about all rookie snubs is a one, and Kyle Lowry not making it is a ten uh, in terms of you know Raptors anger. Uh, where does Fred VanVleet not making it over those guys rank for you?
2: Well, all the guys you named ahead of him are bums, so I think it's (laughs) got to be – no, I mean, look, the the East this year was just like treacherous um, if you actually go through and try to make your all-star team – um, you will just inevitably end up excluding some people you just assumed would be locks going in, like specifically in the Eastern Conference. So I think it's much closer to the the one than the 10. I initially, when I did the exercise, did not have Fred in. And then like right before the reserves, I went and just kind of looked at everything again. And I decided I would actually put him in um, and take uh, Vucevic out, who ended up making it as for one of the wild cards. We ended up yeah. on like my team that meant nothing because I have no say. Um, and I'm not a, an NBA coach nor am I an assistant coach filling out the ballot in secret for yeah. the head coach. Um, but I think it was extremely tough. And I look at some of the other guys that didn't make it, like, you know, like Trey Young, Trey Young, or, Bam, yeah. Jimmy, yeah. like th- there's. A lot of guys, even like somebody like Gordon Hayward, like he is basically producing the same numbers he did in Utah a few years ago for a team that is surprisingly good, um, not just because of him, but like he has a lot to do with it. Um, But I mean, I ended up having Fred in just because he just keeps getting better. And the the past few weeks, I think were quite compelling, but I don't think it was like an open and shut case. I I think if... Go if ahead. somebody's Sorry. going to name Trey Trey Young or Zach Levine um, as an all-star simply because they seem like more starry players than Fred, I actually don't have much of an argument.
1: Yeah. Um, and before Sabonis was named a replacement, I think he was like the first twenty ten and 5 player since who knows when to not make it. Uh, so there are a lot of good players not making it. Um, I, I, I had, the one thing I had thrown at me on Raptors Twitter, which is no surprise – because it's Raptors Twitter, was a lot of Celtics slander um, saying, you know, we get zero guys and they get two guys. Um, My counter to that is, A, I don't subscribe to that whole theory. I don't think any team is owed any number of players, no matter how good they are. I do think that's how coaches often think, but that's not my belief. But also, it's not like the Celtics are 11 and 19. Like this, there are, we're about to talk about this. There are seven teams with more or less the same record in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> so you know, Jalen Brown, you know, averaging 25, 5.5, and 4, like on a team that was probably at the time a game worse than the Raptors. Sorry, like that's not a disqualifier. And I I know like a lot of the other impacts that say Fred is a more impactful player, but it's not this like grave injustice. Now, if the Raptors were, you know, 20 and 10 at the time, as opposed to 15 and 15 or whatever they were, like maybe I I would, you know, be ringing the bell or whatever you you do to make your case. It's probably not ringing the bell. Um, Yeah. But uh, like, there are seven teams with the same record. Basically.
2: Yeah. And I think when it comes to like how winning should impact this, it's like, I am not an extremist that's like, just look at the individual numbers. That's all that matters. I think if you have a couple of players who are close, then a team that is contributing to winning, that is not only on a winning team, but maybe you could prove with some impact stats, like they are like performing much better when that guy is on the court like that if they have an elite offense this is the person driving it if they have an elite defense this is the person driving it like i think there is a way to put winning in to the conversation um but i don't think the proper way to put it into the conversation is to just simply look at a team's record and say they're not good enough to have two all-stars i don't think that makes sense and i think the same is true of the reverse like i don't think you should look at the the Sixers record, um, which is, by the way, getting worse every day, it feels. Um, but getting like, look at the Sixers record, say at the time when we were debating All-Stars more yeah. aggressively and say, well, they absolutely have to have two. Like they ended up getting two. But I think just based on how crowded a field it was, if it were just Joel Embiid representing the Sixers, that would have been fine.
1: Yeah. And that's sort of how I felt about Kyle Lowry making it as a Raptor last year, like do I have a problem with Kyle Lowry being an all-star? No, of course not. Like, we, you know, I, I've sung his praises enough times and and seen how much he impacts a game uh, to, you know, I'm not going to begrudge that guy anything. But that doesn't mean the Raptors were owed a second guy because they had the second-best record in the conference at that point. And that's just how I feel. Uh, before we have to let you go, James, I want to zoom out a bit. Uh, I, I think... Safe to say, if Blake ever, you know, comes back from the fifth circle of hell, we will talk about the trade deadline more next week. But as I alluded to, there are currently seven teams. uh, That's between fourth and tenth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, So, you know, quote unquote, hosting a playoff series, right down to being the last team in the play-in that are currently... One and a half games, uh, one and a half games separates those seven teams. Way to get that sentence out, Eric. Uh, The Raptors, I don't even care what place they're in right now. They're behind the Knicks. I think they're tied for fifth. Um, I'm getting so sick,
2: by the way, of just people like pointing at the Knicks and saying
1: like, they are fourth in the East. What an incredible
2: season. Like, dude, they're one and a half games out of 10th, too. Yes. Like um, this, this changes virtually every day. Yeah, and just Indiana the fact that somebody's fell, fourth. with
1: one loss, Indiana fell from I believe fifth to tenth. So, yes, so let's, whatever. Let's show. Uh, the Raptors are ninth in offense, fourth, fourteenth in defense. Uh, those are league wide ranking, rankings. Ninth overall, uh, via Tankathon, they have a five hundred two uh, remaining opponent winning percentage, which among those seven teams is second most difficult. Now, of course, not much, not much separates most of those teams. I think the one exception is Miami, which has a... Uh, I think this was the case last year. Miami had a really easy schedule going down the stretch. Uh, of course, we're not at a stretch yet. We're only halfway through the season. Uh, but that's just to indicate where things stand for the Raptors right now. And as, you know, if these next two games are canceled when we next see them play, the Raptors will have two weeks until the trade deadline. So, James, this is my big, my long way of saying, how do you see where the Raptors, you know, from an outside perspective, how do you view the Raptors going into the trade deadline right now? And what would your, before we get into specific names, what would your overall approach be? I think... I know that's a big question.
2: No, that's fine. I I think if, unless... Kyle Lowry has indicated he wants out or something. I I kind of see the Raptors as more buyers than sellers at this stage and I think it's pretty easy for a front office to talk themselves into trying to make a win now move when you look at like First of all, like what you said about how jumbled up the East is, the fact other teams are going to be trying to add reinforcements to like if you care about this season, you probably want to go and, and try to separate yourself in some way. Um, also, even the stratification that there looks like there is in the standings maybe is not as real as previously thought. I mean, at this point, the Sixers net rating is barely any better than the Raptors, even though yeah. their record is much better. We also just saw um, the Raptors split a pair of games uh, against that team and like befuddle their star player more yeah. than any team in the league has For, done this year in keeping with Toronto's identity as a defensive team. I think but, Before just, those
1: two games, by the way, I just want to point out that the Raptors and Sixers basically had the same net rating. And... But in clutch minutes, the native the difference between the Sixers and the Raptors was forty points per hundred possessions. Right, um, which um, pretty largely much because the
2: difference. <laughs> yeah, and largely honestly because the Sixers in the clutch, like you can't score against them. Like a lot yeah. of team, a lot of the time you think it's like, oh, because they have this like one on one perimeter guy. It's like there's another way to be good down the stretch of games too. Um, yes. But but I would just say like. There's opportunity here um, in the right situation to try to improve the team. I could see them jumping at it. It's just it is tricky because the flip side of everybody, you know, trying to break out of this kind of middle of the East's morass is that. A lot of teams you might ordinarily think could be sellers can pretty easily also talk themselves into trying to get better or at least standing pat, and that is augmented by the fact that there is now a play-in tournament, so you don't have to be eighth necessarily um, to get into the playoffs.
1: Um, So especially, especially. Sorry to interrupt. Just like teams that have sucked for so long, like Chicago or the Knicks, like you know, a play-in tournament, even if they lose, like that would be. Like it's a meaningful sign of progress and it's something to sell as a meaningful sign as progress. And as uh, the great bard Kevin O'Neill once said, you're either selling wins or selling hope. Uh, right. And this is, you know, the play-in tournament has just basically given two more, two more hope spots to uh, the league.
2: Yeah. And that, like one of those teams you mentioned is like specifically relevant. Maybe both are. Um, but the Bulls have a guy named Thaddeus Young, who has been a point center for them this season that they have been absolutely killing teams when he's been on the court. Um, just has been just perfect for Billy Donovan's new offense there. And I think Raptor fans are probably thinking he could be perfect as a small ball five in Toronto. Um, and then they also have Garrett Temple, who they, it was like the one move they made in the offseason was signing him for under $5 million. And he's a veteran who can basically guard one through three and play one through three. And both of those players, like, there's certain players you look around the league, you're like, that guy, like, that guy would be a good Raptor because they can, you know, they are versatile defensively. They can make a play. They can put the ball on the floor. They are quick thinkers um, and smart players that you can rely on. And I think those guys would be two absolutely natural trade targets. One of them has an expiring con- contract. The other one, um, Thaddeus Young, is making like 14 million next year, and only six million of that is guaranteed. So it's not exactly expiring, but it is sort of like that functionally. Yeah. Um, but at this point, I. Kind of don't expect either one to be available. You could look at the Knicks and say, hey, Nerland's Noel has been awesome defensively. He's a guy that can guard on the perimeter and block shots. And, you know, he's a decent passer. And like, maybe he would be an interesting target for Toronto. And like, Tom Thibodeau is like 0% interested in trading Nerland's Noel right now. And uh, like, this is not me saying that like, he is necessarily wrong. Like, maybe the Knicks will be a playoff team. They are, as I said, fourth in the East right now, as if that means anything. But, like, they could for sure be a playoff team. But they also could su- fall out.
1: You know, they're second in defense, I think, right now, too. So I'd right. to say that's completely unsustainable, although I think we both have our uh, reservations when it comes to the Knicks.
2: Yeah, I think it is fair to look at that defense and wonder if that can hold up or if opponents will start making some threes against them. Um, but I mean, people had those same questions about like the Raptors three point defense and stuff, too. And like just sometimes it's a thing. Sometimes it isn't. Um, yeah. So I look around and like it, it is easy to kind of point out some natural targets. We can go through some of them if you like. But I, I think it's just it is complicated because I think yeah. they should be buyers. But I think. Like buying is going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of competition. And maybe what you're hoping for is that one of these teams like a Chicago who has a new GM that isn't necessarily wedded to the idea that this roster is (coughs) is, excuse me, like good this year. Maybe he decides to zig when other people are zagging and he tries to get like start a bidding war for Thaddeus Young. And then he ends up getting like a first and a second from Toronto, which maybe that is actually a smart thing for Toronto to do. And maybe they owe that to a Kyle Lowry at this point. Um, So it's possible. It's just the the situation is pretty weird compared to a normal trade deadline.
1: Absolutely. Uh, You touched on a lot of things there and I appreciate it. Uh, I was going to ask you about Kyle Lowry. Uh, I think I know where you stand. Uh, I, I think, you know, as I wrote, when did I write that? Who knows? But I wrote at some point that At the very least, the Raptors and Kyle Lowry before the trade deadline have to have an honest conversation about not only what they want for this year, but where their plans align for the years to come. And that doesn't mean if Kyle Lowry says he has no intention of staying in Toronto or or he has no intention of taking a salary that would have him make sense to play in Toronto, that they have to all of a sudden trade him, uh, or vice versa. It doesn't mean they have to keep him if he really, really wants to stay. Uh, The Raptors ultimately have to do what's best for them, but I think you owe it to Kyle Lowry as well as just yourselves to have a very honest conversation. Uh, And I think both sides should want that just so you can make a fuller decision uh, going into the trade deadline. Uh, I I like you, and, and I would err on the side of you know let's keep Kyle Lowry as a raptor as long as possible and hopefully in like into next year so he can actually play play in Toronto again like i don't get too emotionally attached like i try to put on my gm cap and surely Masai Ujiri will put on his you know cold calculating cap when he needs to but I want nice things for lots of people. And I, I think lots of people who are listening to this podcast would like Kyle Lowry to suit up at a sold-out Scotiabank arena again. So all things being equal, that's what I would like to happen. Uh, and I just sort of have trouble see, seeing a uh, a deal that like really knocks their socks off, uh, that where you have to trade Kyle Lowry, just because of how few... Picks are available for those teams that would be like, oh, Kyle Lowry, we're now super duper NBA championship contenders. Like there's Philly and there's Denver and then Mm -hmm. basically every other team that you'd consider is more or less out of sexy picks. Um, Yeah, I think that's one one of the many reasons Philly comes up.
2: Yeah. and. I mean, like all of this stuff, it's like it is very contextual because I, like a lot of the time it's like, should team trade player X? And it's like, well, like for what? And that that part of the equation really matters. And I I think they can sit down and have their discussion and the Raptors can be as honest as possible about what their plan A, B and C is at this deadline next summer and everything else. And Lowry can be as honest as possible about like what it would take to get him back in terms of what kind of team he wants to play for, how much he expects to be paid, all, all of this stuff, even though you're not technically supposed to be negotiating far in advance. Like they, they can talk about whatever. I, I, I don't um, think
1: anything would stop Kyle Lowry from yelling his expectations out loud. Right. And the Raptors saying nothing.
2: Right. <laughs> right. And, and all, all of, but they can have that conversation yeah. and they can think that one outcome is much more likely than the other. And maybe that outcome is like What you are suggesting is that this is not the end of the like very fruitful relationship between Lowry and the Raptors um, and that they could bring him back at a price that makes sense for both. But that can be what they think. And then the next day they could get a trade offer come in that is like basically the Drew Holiday Hall. Um, And at that point you have to sit down and you have to think about that. And yeah. there aren't a ton of teams out there, as you referenced, that can offer something comparable to the Drew Holiday Hall. Um, but, I mean, Philly's one of them, and there might be some other teams that are willing to do that. It is becoming um, almost like sort of like the anti-process at this point, or like the delayed process to like, instead of deciding we're going to be bad for uh, a few years to try to get a superstar, it's saying like, okay, we're going to like, if we have to mortgage our future and take the chance that we are going to be bad for several years down the line, like we are going to sell all these picks and then we are going to be amazing now. And that that is becoming a trend that we have seen um, with the Davis trade, the Paul George uh, and Kawhi package deal. And I think like that th- that's why the Drew Holiday trade and the Harden trade um, since then were really interesting is because that continued that. It, it was not this, just this one-off thing. Um, when the Anthony Davis deal happened, we've seen a bunch of other stuff like that happen. And after the Nets Celtics trade many years ago, we just assumed we were never gonna see that again. So I don't think it's impossible for another team to come with an offer that the Raptors would basically be negligent not to consider, but I'm kind of with you in that I don't think that is the most likely outcome here.
1: Escalation, not fun in warfare, but fun in, uh, in the NBA. Uh, I guess is what you're saying. Uh, mm-hmm. Last question. I'll keep you to 90 seconds because I don't even know what our producer Andrew's schedule is. And it has something to do with the trade deadline. And you could keep that in mind while you answer it uh, in terms of who you might target in terms of buyer being a buyer. What have you thought about the small ball Raptors?
2: Oh, I mean, I've been wanting to see more of that all season long, which should not surprise you one yeah. bit. Um, I think, you know... Anyone Like, I would not want them to target somebody who would make it, like, very, like, functionally difficult to get a small ball unit out there. So, like, if they're going out and getting just another traditional big um, that will demand a lot of playing time and, like, Baines is not going out the door, like, I don't really know how much sense that makes. I, I like that it accentuates the things that I think, you know, makes, like, when you watch League Pass every night and you flip between teams, like it the raptors have stood out and they've stood out for the entire nurse era and like playing this way it makes them that much more um fun to watch it makes them that much more of a like pesky defensive team that is kind of creating chaos out there uh, it allows them to get into transition it allows them to space the floor uh really well it's 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 been really cool and it was interesting to see that they even started that way against Philly, and like they, they started that way against Milwaukee, and I, I know they had to go away from it um, a few minutes into the Philly game because it, it started poorly, but, like, that was cool to me when the notification came in, like, however long, 45 minutes before that game, and it was, like, OG and and Pascal Siakam are... Um, the starting front court against Embiid, like that, right after, right after Nick
1: Nurse said it would be impossible to start to play like that. By the way,
2: yeah, um, which, which is always fun for
1: us, the media. Yeah,
2: we, we, which means if you're looking for like front court stuff in the deadline, like you look at like a Thad Young, like I said, like you look at like I mean, I don't know if like frankly these two guys are probably not available, but like Larry Nance Jr. to me would be like the dream.
1: Acquisition. Yeah. He's a guy i uh, thought of too. And and yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah,
2: like Aaron Gordon would be like a dream acquisition. Like these are guys that like if you have them playing with Ananobi and Siakam, like the positions truly don't matter at all. And that that is the way that the league is kind of going in a lot of ways. And that is the way the Raptors have been trending for years. That doesn't mean that a more traditional center isn't useful. Um, like they got a lot of great stuff from Marcus All, one of both of our favorite players. So Yeah. We'll see how it goes, but I, I love the small ball. Look, that was way more than 90 seconds. I'm That's sorry. all right.
1: That's okay. Uh James Herbert is at CBS Sports. Anything in particular in particular you want to plug, James? No, just um you
2: know, I have I tweet stupid stuff at outside the yeah. NBA on Twitter and all my stories go on the cbssports.com slash NBA.
1: And he has a wonderful cat who uh, we currently have three pictures of, three holiday cards with Duck the Cat on uh, our fridge, which, if you are wondering, is more than we have of our actual pets on our fridge, <laughs> uh, which is maybe Warms a my disturbing. my heart. James Herbert does great work at CBS Sports, uh, as mentioned on Twitter at Outside the NBA. James, I can't wait until we can uh, talk shop in Toronto or Brooklyn or who knows, somewhere else in between.
2: That will be beautiful. Thank you so much for having me. Shout out uh, to Blake also.
1: Yeah. Uh, everybody else, theathletic.com slash we the six, dollars a month. We're going to have plenty of deadline content coming. And maybe we'll even have games to write about. Uh, hope everybody down in Tampa is doing as well as possible. Thanks for listening. See ya.